Hey, 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 welcome or welcome back to the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. I'm your host, Chris Desmond. This is a show where we try and get better at doing the hard stuff that makes life exciting. I've just had a fantastic conversation with Tom Ahern. Tom has, I think, been on the show three times now. We touch on a whole range of topics today, like we talk about self-identity, we talk about overwhelm, we talk about tools for managing ourselves and our mental state. We talk about kids, we talk about dogs, we talk about finding wonder in the world, talk about self-development, evolution, learning, the industrial revolution. We cover a whole lot of stuff. Tom makes a couple of dick jokes as well, as per usual. It's all good fun. So I really hope you enjoy the conversation with Tom and I today. Good to see you, Tommy. It's um, We were just talking. It's been, what, 14, 15 months since we, we had a decent sit down and a chat. I know. It's crazy, man. I know. We were just, we were just talking about that. I think, um, like I said, I had a hell of a lot more hair. So uh, I'm going the opposite way. <laughs> yeah, and I think we kicked things off because it had been a while since our chat pre- prior to that as well. Like I think it had been six months or a year. It never feels like that long when we connect and we talk. But I think like we had a baby. You had a book. You and I did. We did have a baby. Yeah, we did. We did. <laughs> it was a it was an interesting looking one. <laughs> it was. It was. I don't know how we managed it, man. We're biologically uh, very very unprepared, but we got there. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. And you had a you had a book that had just come out as well. Yes, that's right. Yes, it, what was that? That was uh, well, I think it had officially come out a couple of months prior to that. But um, yeah, so had a, so had the baby. Very true. Very true. <laughs> that, 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 the book actually came out with the baby. So yeah, the baby is <laughs> holding the book. <laughs> I was actually reading it. Yeah, he's a, he's a smart baby. <laughs> Mate, yes. <laughs> Right. So you're in the midst of writing another book, aren't you? I'm in the midst of writing three. Three. Um, All right. Yeah. So good. Good. Trying not to. Uh, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't mean to, but I'm pretty close. I'm about. Uh, I'd say two weeks off finishing the third draft of my second, which is just a huge backbreaker because th- this draft has just taken me coming up to a year. I think. Um, mm. I, do you know what? I actually think I, I had. I think I was writing this draft where I'd just begun writing this draft when we'd done our previous podcast. So it's longer than a year. So yeah. this is a big one. Shit, yeah, mate. Yeah. So what's this, what's this one all about? Yeah. Well, it's, um, I tried to go into the deepest possible roots I could of identity. Uh, because mm. it's, you know, it's so malleable. And you know, my first book was called, Yes, I'm Fine, Just Tired. Uh, this one's called, Yes, I'm Fine, Just Busy. You know, the idea being there that the busier we are, you know, the less we can really see the truth. And then the next question is, what is the truth? And the third book I'm writing, so the third and the one I'm writing now were, were conjoined, you know, were kind of juxtaposed because, you know, the third one really, really just rode the wave of the, the, the second one I'm talking about now. But I made it a third one because it was just too big. Mm. So that one's actually going to be called, yes, I'm fine, just thinking. So it's a really fun way to have those, I suppose. And is that the one that you just kind of, unpa- where you unpack the truth and give <laughs> us all, all of the, all of the answers? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a bit different again, I suppose. So the one I'm writing now is about identity and how it's malleable and how we can actually analyze and see that across multiple levels of analysis. So we have a look at what identity is from the evolutionary perspective, uh, from a more spiritual, perhaps, I suppose. Um, and then also kind of a psychoanalytic perspective. 
Your third book, Yes, I'm Fine, Just Thinking, is actually how to integrate awareness because this is something that's consistently come up for me in my counselling sessions. You know, oftentimes we think that going to speak to a therapist or, or perhaps, you know, journaling or meditating, you know, all these great tools that cultivate self-awareness, um, that they're actually leading to change in and of themselves. And they are to a degree, but I really wanted to make the necessary, I felt, distinction between what awareness is and then what integration is. So it's all well and good for, you know, for someone to speak to a counsellor or speak to a therapist. How do we actually take that and then apply that to our lives? So I suppose what I wanted to do in this book was, was, was talk about all the things I was writing about, really un help people un unpack layers of awareness and then how they could actually integrate that and, and make those, those changes. So I thought it would be a good book by itself. That's why I switched it around. Mm. Awesome, man. The, like the, the more I think about it and kind of probably the, the more aware I become of, yeah. of myself, like I, I realize it's just the first step, basically. Like you can, as you said, you can go to a counselor or to use, uh, use another analogy, you can come and see me as a physiotherapist Absolutely. with an injury and yeah. I can point out to you what's wrong and I can tell you the stuff that you need to go away and do. Yes. But if you don't do it. <laughs> That's exactly right. You'll probably get better because time is a great healer. <laughs> but, <laughs> you just lose a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll limp around for a while anyway. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's, that's a much more tangible example as well. It's just that. Uh, and it's funny. I, I don't even know. I, I, and, you know, my own experience, I always thought that speaking to a psychologist was, was doing the work, you know. And mm. that was actually just the painful stuff. This is essentially why you're fucked. And now here's what to do about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, that's probably something that you might get into in the current book that you're writing as well, is that like going and talking to people feels like it's the work, but it's actually just, it's just kind of busyness or it's the part before the work that you need to put in. It's so true. And, you know, I also, I also don't want to kind of disregard or, you know, invalidate people's experience when they're going to speak to someone because like you said man it, it is challenging and to actually take that first step and and, and say to yourself effectively oh I'm, i actually don't have all the answers here i i need someone to help me is doing something which, which yeah. is massive you know but it's not doing everything and i think that's such an important uh position to take so that we don't feel like jobs done you know and you and i both obviously agree with this that the job's never done you can't press mm. pause on life and, until you obviously pass away. So I think just, just knowing those things and, and, you know, I, I tried to have a bit of fun with the book as well, talking about dream analysis and, you know, doing all the things that I'm into as well. So yeah, yeah it's, it's not, it's not just, um, hopefully it's not boring. <laughs> and a bit of classic Tom Ahern humor as well. I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a bit of that in there. Yeah. A couple of yeah. gags. <laughs> yeah. I thought there'd be a couple of dick jokes in there. Yeah. Eh? <laughs> yeah. Really fascinating. Like you've been thinking a lot about kind of identity and, and how it's malleable. Like what's changed in your view of your own identity maybe over the last 18 months since you've been jumping into this? Yeah. Well, the reason I write my books isn't necessarily, you know, to be known as an author or anything it's because i'm just I, I really want to find out these answers for myself so that mm. i suppose they really come from a very selfish perspective initially but i started writing this book because i'd lost my own identity you know i, I didn't know who i was and it was really scary i was drowning in the waters of the unconscious because um, i had nothing to 
cling on to. There was no ego, you know, sailing a, a ship or anything. I had no direction. And, and that kind of happened um, when I stopped playing football, had found CrossFit, felt kind of like the shell of who I was with football. I felt so linked to football. And then when I hurt my knee moving overseas, then I realized that athletes and Tom were no longer, you know, linked. I really, because I, I just wanted to be an athlete my whole life, you know, mm. and then when my knee injury kind of got the better of me, I, I really started to have to think about, well, you know, this probably isn't possible, at least in the foreseeable future. And I also want to go traveling and I fell in love at the same time and, you know, all these sorts of things. So that wasn't, I say it now, you know, and it sounds so, so simple, but it was very scary for a good couple of years there because I just didn't know who I was. I thought, I thought athlete was me, you know? So I suppose the, the, the reason why I wanted to, study this kind of stuff, which really is depth psychology, you know, getting to the root of who someone is, was very important to me because I felt like I was, I was drowning, you know, and it's different when, you know, some of the stuff I talk about in the book is, you know, the difference between like consciously deciding to take something on that is never, inevitably going to change your identity. Like, you know, I can only guess that for you, for example, do like becoming a father, obviously it's a massive decision. Yeah. It's going to change your identity. There's going to be like a pre child and a post child experience in life, but you were also looking forward to it. Not just counting how bloody challenging it would be, but you were almost, you had that, like, I'm ready to make this step, I suppose. I don't know. Do you, did you feel that? Yeah, probably, probably yes and no. And, and yeah. actually I think I felt like a lot of other guys out there who are like, yeah, I can probably be a dad, yeah, but I'm not. I'm not <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think like as as males, we probably lack the same biological driver or as females who oh. say, "Yeah, I'm ready to be a mum." And there's that that biological sort of stuff that's going on for them. But like everyone that I talked to about it was like, "You're never ready before they arrive, and then they're here, and <laughs> yeah. you just have to do it." But I think as well, like, as you said, it, it, it changes your identity as well. And it changes your perspective. And like, in essence, I'm still, I'm still the same person that I was before Connor arrived. But I think like it, it, it's changed my perspective on a lot of things. It's changed my priorities on a lot of things. I don't know if this is kind of just natural evolution for me as well, or if it's accelerated it, but it's, mm. I think it's probably accelerated, but it's made me much more aware and in touch of my emotions and what's driving them too. Mm. What do you mean by that? Like, how did it change your emotion? So, like, we're typical Kiwi and Aussie guys. Oh, yeah. No, 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 slightly, slightly stoic. Not probably weren't particularly in touch with our emotions when we were younger. I think it's probably just heightened them a little bit. You just kind of see see something touching on the internet. You're like, oh, not in a creepy way, but in like a, like a heartfelt touching sort of video before uh, you, you become a dad. And you're like, oh, it's, it's nice. That's nice. That. <laughs> then afterwards, you're like, oh, shit. That's, that's kind of bringing a tear to my eye. And like today as well, is like I, I was sitting down, I was having a meeting at work, and like here in New Zealand, we've, we've basically just come out of lockdown and we're starting to get yeah. back into things. We had to kind of take all of our services and deliver them virtually and work virtually as a team when we'd previously been in the same office space. And like my guys, my team came together 
ridiculously well. And I was just, I was talking to them about stuff today and I just said, look, I'm, I'm just so proud of you guys for how you came together and the work that you put in, how we supported each other through this period of time. And I started to get a bit choked up about it. Yeah. And I was just like, I think it's just kind of experiencing emotions on a, on a slightly more heightened level, I think. And um, I don't know, maybe just feeling them a little bit more deeply. Just kind of cracks you open a bit. Yeah, it does. It does. And I think you give less of a fuck about showing them to people as well as like, actually, what am I holding this stuff back for? Like this, there's this tiny little baby that blows your mind with doing new stuff every day and is just, yeah, it's a miracle of life, the miracle of life. But all of a sudden you're like, well, actually, who cares if I have a bit of a cry in front of people? It doesn't matter. My other half and I were, were trying to think this through where when, when did this whole idea that emotions are weak or, or whatever it is, where did mm. that come from? Like I, I tried to backtrack it to perhaps like the first build, the first world war where, you know, blokes were getting either honorable or dishonorable, you know, discharges and things because I suppose like psychological injuries, you know, weren't really something that you could see. What, what's so interesting to me is like how we put these labels on what's weak and what's not. But, you know, when you learn a bit more about trauma therapy as an example, seeing what the body necessarily has to do to, 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 to allow the, the hormones and, and all that sort of stuff to move through the body so they can actually get back. Now we have this ability to decide how we want to act. You know, when, when we let our, when we suppress our emotions because it's, for whatever reason, some kind of labels being put on them, can literally take years off our lives. And I don't know where, I just don't know where that came from, where like how emotions are, are weak because we, we've had them for long, mm. far longer than 200 million years. It's so strange to me. I don't know. Yeah. Where did you, like, where did you get back to and looking at that stuff? Well, yeah, I mean, I got, I got as far back as 210 million years with the development mm. of, of the, the mammalian. Quite brain, a while. Really. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, what, ballpark figure? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I got I got got a while there, but even to go even further back with um you know something that Jordan Peterson talks about with lobsters being three hundred and fifty million years old, this this nervous system you know structure, the ability for us to be aware of where we stand in, in social hierarchies and things, it's so old, and yet we're only now just starting to have a conversation around you know it's okay not be okay and, and mm. uncomfortable is okay you know the words of the great man by yourself but I, it's I, I really don't know I really don't know yeah like it, it's fascinating you look at some of the kind of the older societies that we have and and like I'm just spitballing here I haven't looked at them nearly yeah, as closely yeah. as you like take for example stoicism mm-hmm. as well stoicism and, and being stoic gets quite a bad rap at the moment and because I think because people don't really understand it it's rather than kind of repressing your emotions the stoics looked at them more deeply and tried to understand them and then kind of made decisions based off of that through the perspective that they took on them Mm. as opposed to having an emotion repressing it and just getting on with shit yeah exactly and you're exactly right and to think that I think we've done a brilliant job in the last 500 years of overvaluing one part of the brain that happens to be the youngest part of the brain. You know, mm. we're very cognitive, we're very objective, you know, but, but most of 
all actually of what's driven us to the 21st century is how to act emotions it's it's fulfillment it's getting to a pleasure you know a pleasurable place from a painful place it's these emotions that are driving our behavior even the word emotion is energy in motion it's what are we mm. doing as opposed to you know and this is obviously getting into the the field of morality that you can't derive an ought from an is we don't we, we just don't look at the world as a place of things you know we look at our place in the world and, and how we should do and all the world's a stage and you know we, we've um we've just become very good at neglecting some of what i would describe as the very ancient wisdom that's, that's inherent in the body yeah yeah and it's interesting kind of where we like thinking looking back where we lost our way on that what like did you did you look at the industrial revolution much in terms of kind of what what was happening around that time too yeah uh, i think it and i well i mean i think it came from as early as descartes you know yeah i i really think that's when it came and don't get me wrong i think the objective worldview is very we wouldn't be friends without no. science We've no, not at all. Met. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like one of my best mates, <laughs> podcasting mates. It's, it's strange. Uh, it's strange kind of, who oh, I know virtually, right? That I've never met in person. Exactly. But can sit down exactly. and have a yarn like this. Yeah, exactly. It'd probably be like the most awkward thing in real life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, hey, uh, do we shake hands or is that yeah. inappropriate now? Or? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. No, so I, I think maybe just looking back into how we got to where we are today not throwing out all the baby with the bathwater. The scientific perspective has been great, but now we're all lost and existential and, you know, nihilistic. And I think, and these aren't my ideas. This is just some ideas that I took from other people that worked in my own experience. But looking back to what got us here with the subjectivity, and if we can mould those two now, which I think is what the world's doing, I suppose. I think everyone's starting to think about being a bit more honest and understanding themselves, being okay with who they are and, you know, asking questions and well, I hope so anyway, I'm biased because mm. I see that all the time, but uh, I don't know. Yeah. And I think that's, that, that's something that I definitely see more of as well. Cause you're 26, eh, hey, Tom? 27. 27. Sorry, mate. Sorry. Come on, mate. <laughs> Come on. Wise, quite, wise, wiser than, wiser than I thought. Um, <laughs> I'm what, nine years, nine years older than you. So I think I, probably had a had a chance to see that that evolution a little bit more but i think again you're you're right in that because of the stuff that we do and because of the way that we think we move in certain circles and the mm. circles that we move in probably are the ones that we see this this the stuff happening more often and i mean the facebook algorithm will feed us that that shit as well so yeah. like i think I, I think there's definitely more of it happening whether it's kind of as much as as we think it is or not. I don't know. I don't get millions of downloads on my podcasts. <laughs> yeah, so maybe, maybe it's not that many people. <laughs> <laughs> just, just you and myself, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and mum, and mum. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah. No, for sure. And how do you, I mean, do you see that kind of playing out? Because when I think of physiotherapy as well, because I'm so biased, I can't help but, but think about the psychosomatic perspective on on body injuries as well mm. and all that sort of stuff i mean how much of your role is counselor as well i've, I've been having a few conversations like this recently actually yeah. and i think like when you when you start out 
in any sort of health profession, it is very much, I'm going to go off all of the theory that I've just learned. It's definitely biomechanical yeah. or it's the, a problem with this system. Like I've been a physio now for, I don't know, 13 or 14 years. And I work a lot with people who have chronic pain or complex injury. And I think like it's probably 20 to 25% is the actual injury itself. Yeah. Like I said, that stuff mostly gets better with time. And 80% of it is the psychological stuff. And like, so I kind of, I kind of think about it, like, how can I, how can I make this person, help this person be more resilient to navigate the challenge that they're in at the moment? If I give them the right exercises to do, then they're going to get better. And the right exercises aren't ones that are particularly complex like every now and then you get something cool come in and you're like, oh, I'm going to have to think hard on this one. But it is more of kind of managing expectations and creating some safety for people, uh, creating a sense of hope that they can work work towards, but then also kind of progressively managing their expectations as they work through a process as well because you can't go too fast because then actually things get stirred up and people don't feel safe and they kind of start to withdraw. But you don't want to go too slowly either because then that just kind of enhances people's fear if you're holding them back. So it's an interesting balancing act. And I think like the vast majority of it is like, how do I manage the kind of the, the mindset or the psychology of this person as opposed to how do I purely manage this injury? I'm yeah. biased though. I'm very biased. You talk yeah. to other physios and they'll be like, 90%, it's the injury. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it's so hard to kind of take ourselves out of our own perspectives. But, um, dude, I agree with you. And, you know, I think what you're talking about there is so congruent with the ideas of Chikset Mahai. So he wrote, you know, about flow. That idea mm. that to really find your flow when time adapts to your experience. Brilliant quote. Uh, you know, that idea that we want to see progress. You know, what we're doing isn't overly challenging. So it's not anxiety provoking, but it's also not boring. You know, that mm. idea that we can, and then even further to abstract out of that, it's that idea that we are moving from a painful place to a better future. We're always in that state, which is so interesting because it's like, we've, and, and you know, to my point before, we've been getting very good at understanding the objective world. This is a candle. This is a computer. That is Saturn. That is Mars. And we've, we've really lost that. Well, how do we live in this world? You know, what's the subjectivity? What better future am I moving to? Why is it necessary for me to overcome this injury? Who am I? Who do I want to be? So I suppose um, it's probably why you and I connect, mate. You know, mm. irrespective of the industry, there is that idea based upon your psychology and my psychology of how do we integrate this kind of experience in, in, into our lives and into our clients' lives. Yeah, and it's it's fascinating. And like I've been running a few workshops and doing a little bit of coaching with people at the moment, kind of out, outside of the physio stuff, mm. um, around kind of load load management. So it's it's the how am I managing the loads in my life at the moment? Like like pro, like having physical rehab principles, mm -hmm. but applying that kind of across the spectrum and using the psychology of that and. I don't know if you're familiar with the UX Dodson curve or the UX Dodson law. No. So it's um, it performance versus 
arousal level. Oh yes. Yeah, yeah. So it's the you start off like yeah, yeah, yeah. You start off low and then you hit peak and then you come back down. And I think like most people that I have talked to, um, and obviously like I, I move in health circles, so I've I've done this with a lot of health professionals who have been basically working throughout, but they're kind of sliding down that side of the curve towards overwhelm just because there's so much load going on them at the moment. Um, I've run a few others with actually some CrossFit gyms. Some of the members there haven't had that much to do over this period of time. So they're sitting on the other side. They're sitting down in that like that comfort zone. And I kind of break break that curve up actually into, into three different facets is you've got the comfort zone on that lower end of the load and then you've got your performance zone or your stretch zone in your middle and then that sort of zone of overwhelm as well and it's mm. it's it's kind of like when you're starting to head down into the wards that overwhelm zone that's that's almost like you've got an injury so it's like how do i come back up out of that and how do i get back to that peak performance because i've overloaded myself and and injured myself for a one of one of a better word a lot of people I, f- I find can do that just with a little bit of, of load manipulation in the time and can kind of swing back towards peak performance. And it's like, I don't think it's, it's probably, there's more work that people need to do after that, but it's really interesting kind of how you can manipulate the loading on someone just by changing a few small things to take the pressure off so that they can start to slide back and they can create a little bit more space then to maybe do some more of that long-term work. Yeah. I mean, I think what you just said there goes for every industry. You know, I really Mm. think we all want to feel like the work we're doing is challenging and therefore uh, meaningful, but it's also, you know, not chaotic and, you know, we are on top of it. Like it's, it's so Mm. hard. And, you know, I think about balance, right? This idea that we should have a little bit of this and a little bit of this and a little bit of this and such a, it's such a static way to look at life. Everyone's trying to find their balance, you know, to, to, which is essentially the same way of saying trying to get to this place where, you know, everything is good. So it's like, mm. I'm doing all the right things. But we're future oriented. You know, you can't, you can't get out of that inevitable truth. We're always moving from point A to point B up until we die. And I think balance is very much congruent with what you said about the you and about what uh, Chikset Mahaya talks about with flow. Balance is that ability to mediate tasks that are too challenging and not challenging enough so that we're simultaneous. So we're seeing progress and, and we feel like we're on top of things, you know? And I think that's something that you constantly need to tweak as well is that and balance i think is balance to me is sounds like a static concept that people are searching for is like Mm. all right if i do this and this and this and this then i'm in balance and then it's fine (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. and it's really regimented and then if you don't do that then you get pissed off at yourself and and wind yourself up but i think that like we're pretty fluid beings as humans as well and what is in balance for us what might be in balance for us one day the next day is not going to be in balance mm. because we haven't had a great sleep because our two-year-old's woken up three times overnight or you've got a, got a cold or a flu or something like that or I don't know. Dogs. Like any- the dog's crapped on the carpet or something. Dog something dog. like that. And, and I crapped on the carpet. <laughs> yeah, and then the dog ate it and then and threw the it up. It. And then I ate it and threw it <laughs> yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, and then your, your partner started yelling at you for all of that. <laughs> yeah. But then yeah. obviously, 
liked at the same time, couldn't save money and, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, that, that, that balance of stuff changes depending on, on our environment and it's, it can be kind of, it's a moving target, I guess. Yeah, it's always a moving target, isn't it? Yeah. And even, even just your own laziness and procrastination. Like I'm, I'm, God, I'm like that all the time at the moment. Like I'll, I'll, I'll set my alarm for seven. I wake up, it's like 8.30. <laughs> like, oh, right. Well, that just throws the schedule out. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes I'll wake up at 4.30 or 5. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, then that throws the schedule out too, but I have to readjust. And I don't know. It's, it's just this funny, I'm just as bad as the next guy for giving out advice, you know, that I think is really helpful. And what I'm saying here is I'm, I'm, I'm just a biggest part of the problem since that we live, live now in this world where we can access information all the time and the information is marketed as such that it's the, the only thing you need to know and that'll mm. fix your life, you know, but it's, it's just impossible, A, because, you know, we know our own lives better than anyone. B, you're never going to have the same day. So that, that piece of advice might work perfectly for me today. Then tomorrow, it's just like, oh, well, what I read 10 years ago in a psychology book is actually what applies to me now. Yeah. Yeah. Finding this constant, it's a very, it's a very funny world we live in in this kind of self development boom, you know. Yeah, and I think the more that I start that I ask questions and kind of the more that I live life, the the more that I realise that there isn't just one right answer for things. And I, and I think like it's a cliche, but the the toolbox analogy is is fantastic. Yeah. Is that you have a range of tools at your disposal. I think someone referred to it as an a la carte menu the other day is that you've got these options there that you can pick and choose from and, and use on a certain day. And what works for you some days isn't going to work for you other days. Like mm. I'm sure that you do a little bit of, of meditation. I, I haven't from, from, me, mate, so from, probably get... <laughs> <laughs> from, from time to time. But like some yeah. days if you're, if you're meditating, like some days you're like, sweet, yeah. down into it, golden. Other days you're like, I just can't sit here and do this. I need to go out for a run and utilizing those tools to, to have a similar effect, I think is, is really important. And yeah. And then I think it comes back to that concept of awareness of, of yourself as well as what's the awareness that I have of what's going on for me at the moment. And then what tools do I have at my disposal that I can then use to action? It's so true. Yeah. You know, everything can be a tool, you know, even mm. I, I found that even putting the, putting the, the fire on, you know, like burning yeah. the wood and just looking at the wood is really lovely or playing with the dogs. And I think you, you're totally right, man. You can't be a master of the tool unless you've, you've tried it, you've given it a go. Mm. And you know, I think there are moments where, you know, we'll, we'll just be staring at our computer screens for hours. You're like, I think I need some connection. And then you go and talk yeah. to your spouse or you call your parents or whatever you need to do. So that, I mean, that's a brilliant tool, you know? Mm. And um, I think the idea behind tool as well, which I think is a really important one, is that the analogy of tool only works if you're building a house. So everything that you're doing has to be for a particular reason. You know, and I heard Alan Watts talking about this on a lecture mm -hmm. whenever it was recorded 40, 50 years ago. And, um, he said, you know, people are always asking me, is it necessary? Is it necessary to meditate? Is it necessary to do all these things? And he said, well, it depends on what you're doing. Like, where do you want to go? His analogy was, 
is it if you're if you're driving to New York, it's necessary to take the highway. So, what are you doing in your life that actually renders meditation worthwhile and necessary? Mm. Because you know, I mean, and that and that depends on the on the frequency and the intensity as well. You know, if you want to be a monk, you're probably going to have to meditate a hell of a lot more than, than you and I. If you are, if you and I are just trying to, you know, um, turn the dial on the on the on the chill um, the fuck out, <laughs> chill the fuck out. Probably a better way of saying it. Yeah. <laughs> if that's what we're trying to do, then maybe fifteen minutes will, will mm. work for us. You know, I mean, everything comes down to ultimately what you're doing. You know, what is your point B? And you know, on a slight tangent, I'm finding that to be the biggest thing coming up. Second to relationships in the counseling world is that people don't have a point B. They don't have an aim. You know, they're, they're just uncertain. Mm. And, and people use a whole different array of words for this. Suicidal, depressed, uh, anxious, lost, angry, you know, and, and however many times it's just, and, and not for everyone, people have their own, you know, separate issues and things, but I'd say over 67% it's, I don't have a point P. I don't have a reason to be getting out of bed or, or they, or they, they, they do, but they're just perhaps not uh, consciously aware of, of what they're doing. So I think I've become very interested in that point B idea. Mm. Yeah. I think that's a, I think that's a really important one um, for, for people. And like when you're, I'm, I'm sure that you find as well that you get better results with people who have a point B? Well, there's a there's a reason. Yeah, yeah. that that makes the them more. Yeah, that makes them more resilient. That makes them kind of want to get better. And and I think like from a physical perspective, you ask people like, what do you want to get back to? Like, yeah. do you play any sport, or do you go do you go running, or what's your work? And the the it's all you, your heart always sinks a little bit when they say, oh no, nothing. what are we doing then (laughs) how am i going to yeah how am i going to take you through this this process um it's going to be a it'll be an interesting one and i think like you can it's easy to take well no not easy it's you can take people part of the way through that process because you're taking them away from pain but you can't take people through that whole process because like if you think of it kind of from a, a pain to pleasure continuum, like when people get far enough away from pain, they don't notice it anymore, Brilliant. but then they stop and they're only halfway there. Brilliant point. Whereas if you can, if you can kind of generate maybe, I, I don't know if I like the word pleasure because mm-hmm. it's, it sounds kind of in the moment, maybe pain to purpose Perfect. as a continuum. It's a, again kind of cliched word but you can you take people away from the pain far enough and then they just kind of sit there and if they're not moving towards purpose then like for for you probably not so much in a physical sense is that they start to slide back towards pain because they're not continuing to move that way yeah dude I, god I, I resonate so so much with with what you just said um and i think I think, you know, one of the tough challenges about psychology is that, you know, I, I, I'm big on journaling because mm. 
pain and, and pleasure or pain and pur- purpose. Jeez, that's a tongue for stuff. Pain and purpose. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're very, um, they're very intangible. You know, people come to you mm. and they say, oh, I'm depressed, you know, um, or I'm lost. It's like, okay, well, what does that look like? But when you go to a physio, it's like, oh, I can't extend my knee or, or, or yeah, something yeah. like that. It's like, well, I can measure that shit. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, one of the things I try to do is, 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 is measure people's pain from a psychological perspective mm. based upon um, comparing them with, with where they'd like to be or perhaps who they used to be when they were fulfilled. You know? And we just journal. We're just like, what's a typical day in your life like? And it can be very confronting to people because – you know, when we go back and read that, it's filled with things that uh, are tough for them to read. Oh, I'm addicted to porn or alcohol or, you know, I always sleep in or, I'm, you know, I lie a lot or all these things. And when you really see that, it's just like, oh, damn, like, no wonder I'm in pain, you know. It's very mm-hmm. easy to kind of avoid that truth. But I think your point about getting like 50% away from the pain and then recoiling back into that is so true, even in my area, because we don't feel pain psychologically anymore. We can just numb it all mm. the fucking time, all the fucking time. And that inability to feel pain as one of the two most fundamental uh, motivators for human behavior, if you just take one of them away, no wonder, and no wonder everyone's fucking depressed. And existential because we don't we don't have a major framework it's gone you know one of my previous podcast guests as well kind of used something or said something that reminds me of that is that the body always whispers before it screams but i think as you say we're so guilty of numbing that that small pain that starts to whisper to us say hey you probably want to check this out like yeah something's a bit off here. Like you want to, you want to have a look at that, but then you numb it with something. You're like, nah, no, nah, I'll go and yeah, watch some porn and drink a slab or something like that. Um, That's a great two minutes. Yeah. 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 And then I feel all right again. Um, <laughs> but, and then all of a sudden, because you can numb it, you hit a tipping point where all of a sudden that pain becomes too much. And then you, can't numb it with things anymore yeah 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 it's just um it's 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 crazy that 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 idea um you you know i i I was walking archie one of our dogs and uh he was he's just in that face he's just so young and he's just in that face where everything's novel and new and he can't stop running Mm. and he pulls on the leash all the time and normally i would um, listen to a podcast whilst walking him and you know I'll discipline him and I'll train him and I'll get him to sit and all this stuff, but it's quite tolerable because I'm interested in what I'm listening to. But uh, a couple of days ago, it was yesterday actually, um, I just didn't have my, 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 my phone because my partner and I had planned to, to walk together. Um, you know, halfway through the walk, we were like, okay, this isn't going to work. They're just shocking when you walk them both together. <laughs> so I walked him home and dude, I hated it by the end of it. Mm. Like I was literally fantasizing about punching him, beating him up because I was so angry, so angry and frustrated. And, and I just had to sit down and I just had, I was just like, wow, this is a, a pain and an anger that, that I've just been completely unconscious of because I've been tuning out and listening to my podcast. Now, what was interesting for me was like, okay, the podcast has actually served as a relatively practical distraction. 
because mm. I can still do my job with the dog and not actually want to beat him to a pulp because I actually quite love him. <laughs> but it was so interesting for me to actually really feel that because I didn't have a choice. Yeah, yeah, that is fascinating as well. Like looking back on that, have you been able to like figure out what was behind it or flip your perspective on it at all? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I have. I, I was just, you know, oh, he's one of them now. I think I'm naturally a selfish person. I really struggle when I, I can't at least get something out of something that I'm doing, which mm. is a very humbling thing to say, I suppose, because I don't particularly like that about myself. And it's a skill I'm trying to develop yeah. more selfless, I suppose. I think changing that perspective and being like, okay, this is Archie's time. You know, it's not my time. Yeah. Can I posit something to you though, Tom, hey, like please. that you, maybe you could get out of this. So I, I recently finished reading Awareness by Anthony DeMello. I don't know if you've come across that, but it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. And, and one of the things that he was talking about in there is just kind of our ability to name things is fantastic but it's also detrimental to us because we stop looking at the uniqueness in life. Like you call something a tree and you're like, you have this mental picture of it that comes up, but actually this tree is not that tree and it's not that tree. So could you, could you work on the walks, look at seeing the world a little bit like Archie and, or as I do like Connor, who's two, who, who is also into this stuff Yes. And seeing the uniqueness of, of every different thing. So that's something that I've, that I've been trying to work on a little bit over the last couple of weeks. And you get, you're like, shit, the way that the light is hitting that tree today is really, really cool. Or the birds that are flying around in it. And actually they're the, they're the same bird or they're the same species of bird, but they look quite different. If once you start to look at them as individual things and it just, I, like I always find it creates a little bit more a sense of wonder about the world. And like to go back to that tool analogy as well, like it's a tool to use but also to extend the metaphor further, when you start using a tool, you're pretty shit at it. Like the nails that you hammer in, I like, get halfway in and then they'll bend over and you're like, oh. So you need to, yeah, you're like, oh, yeah, they fixed it. That'll hold. But it's, yeah, you, need to, you need to keep practicing that tool as well So you, with that tool so you do get good at it. So it's like some days I have an absolute shocker when I try and do that stuff. I'm just like, oh. No, and other days I would come back from the walk, and it's and it's just like, oh, that was epic. I live in an amazing piece of the world. Oh, dude, you're so right. Yeah, I think that's absolutely the skill I need to. Yeah, you're right. We when we get older, we work, we we sacrifice novelty for routine and habit. You know, that's something that I love watching the dogs. You know, kind of discern. You know, because their world is just they live in this fucking crazy psychedelic trip right now. Everything yeah. is crazy and novel. And that's, <laughs> is that because you feed them stuff? That is true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of the psychedelic variety. <laughs> no, like they're in that universe. That's obviously why they're, you know, simultaneously so dependent because they can't make sense of anything. And he just runs across the road and everything's crazy and wonderful. And I, I've thought about this for a while, man. I think, um, you know, self-development and individuality is so much about coming back to that childlike sense of wonder mm. that we lose necessarily as we start to socialize and, 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 and learn things that we can, you know, eventually habitualize to. 
I think it's, it's an inevitable stage of human development going back and reclaiming the child that was, uh, that was lost when we started to learn about what a tree was and things like that. But um, you're totally right, man. I think walking the big fella, Mr. Grandpa Jones over there with the big chops, I think you're right. I think you're totally right. Yeah, and I think like it's an important thing to be able to not to have to tax our mental processing so so much by recognizing that everything's different, um, yeah. so that we just don't get super overloaded. But I think we we probably go too far the other way, mm-hmm. and then actually it's it's a good skill to to retrain and, and to look at kind of where can I get a little bit of wonder back in my life. Have you have you noticed that with with having Connor? Like, what's that yeah. like? seeing yeah talk to me fatherhood man it would be incredible it's pretty incredible like he's at the age now where he's doing something new every day or every second day and you're just like holy holy crap this is this is amazing and like I've, i've talked to my wife about it that there's such a duality in kids is that like they've been happening for millennia so they're the most mundane thing out there they're like this yeah. is just natural this is this happens but they're also the most incredible thing as well like and i think they're much more incredible when they're yours as well like everyone thinks oh, yes, their, their child's incredible and they're everyone awesome. else is like oh yeah 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 they're good they're good yeah but i think it's like just watching something in, in and especially like connor because he was born so early and i don't know if i've even told people on the podcast that he was born at yeah, he, he was did. born at 26 and a half weeks gestation mm-hmm. so we had almost 100 days in hospital with him so he weighed about a kg when he was born typical baby i think is somewhere between three and four or three and five depending so he was he was a pretty little guy and then just kind of just thinking something from that's that size that small like he couldn't even breathe on his own when when he was born like he needed um breathing support and things to go from that and kind of transit through what he's what how he's been developing is just incredible eh? like you see the new connections that are happening in his brain. You see the new ability to process emotions and process things as well. And just kind of watching that happen in real time is completely mind blowing. Eh? Like it, I think it just makes you remember what it is like to, to have a sense of wonder. Like I was just watching him, the other day is we've got a dog as well she's a greyhound massive chase reflex so we can only let her off leash in, in fenced areas where there are no cats same with, <laughs> and, same with you and i mate yeah, yeah yeah unless we want dead cats around i think actually last time we talked about skinning cats on, on the did. podcast yeah yeah, yeah. Right. That reminded me. <laughs> yeah. So just get a dog a fast <laughs> dog but like she was running around. She was kind of, it's the dog park we go to is next to a road. She was chasing cars up and down the fence line. And Connor was just, he was off as well. He was kind of running back and forth, like nowhere near as fast as the cars, like the dog was, but (laughs) um, just watching him be able to run when a couple of months ago, he only just started walking. It's pretty incredible kind of when you start to, to look at that. And, and I think also you start to ask yourself like, what's, what's possible as well. It's like you see this such rapid development. Um, And I think as adults, like we, 
we, we don't develop, we can't develop as fast as, as a child and we can't learn and pick up things as quickly. But all the science shows us that we can build, build new, new skills, build new habits. And you kind of think, actually, why, why don't I give that a go? Like, yeah. why don't I try that? And, and I think thinking about, like, how do, I want to, how do I want to show up as a dad and how do I want to be as a father I think I probably come up with two concepts that are that are key for me at the moment. Is the first is something that I can't remember where I read it or or where I heard it. It's just the line, "My father showed me how to live," and I think that's really that's really important in terms of like I can't just tell him what he should be doing. I need to I need to show him, and he's such a sponge at the moment as well. Like everything you do, he copies. So you've yeah. got to watch the swear words around him. What are you working on at the moment? Have you got any projects coming up? Yeah. So, I mean, I've been working on, been, been working on a little bit of this stuff in regards to trying to bring people back out of overwhelm more from a team perspective and how do we operate as, as leaders to help our teams through tough times and kind of mm. modulate the load that we're putting them under um, and start to understand also kind of the con- the contextual loads as well from outside of like a, that team environment, like what is life putting on people? So doing, doing some workshops, doing a little bit of coaching with teams around that, which has been, has been a lot of fun. And it's, it's all been virtual at yeah. some point. It might go, it, it might go to kind of in-person stuff, which will be cool, but actually like the virtual environment doing that is, is quite cool as well. What else am I been working on? That, that's probably the it's probably the big thing trying to get the team that I run through this lockdown period safe and sound and kind of keep us keep us going and keep us productive from a business perspective as well which has been a has been a fascinating challenge and like it's been, it's been really good that I started thinking about doing a lot of thinking about this overwhelm stuff beforehand so I've been yeah, able I've massively applied it to, to the work that I do there yeah. probably the other big project is that um, we've got number two due in a few months time. So yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty cool as well. So that'll be, um, yeah, that's, that's another big project. Oh my God. That, yeah. that is incredible. It's, do you know the sex? Yeah. Yeah. We're having, having another boy. Bill Tommy. Bill yeah. Tommy. Yeah. Yeah. My Tommy actually. Yeah. We're, we're, we're throwing around names at the moment. Yeah. Well, man, yeah. look, if, uh, if you name him after this big, uh, penis head, then I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll give him a rap on the socials. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Give him a shout out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What about, what about you, bro? Mate, got, uh, you know, where my, my other half's meditation, uh, teacher. So it's been really fun just to kind of, you know, work with her and, you know, mm. I, I have a couple of programs that I offer clients and things aside from just you know, normal, normal counseling. So we throw in a bit of breath work there and, you know, that's really good for, for um, trauma release, which is really cool. But mate, there's two big things that I really am focusing on right now. It's the, it's the podcast and it's the books. The yes, I'm fine series. Um, love to have them all out published audiobooks by the end of the year. It's a big goal. I've got to get this draft done. I want to go back and write a second edition preface for my first book and just fix that up a little bit. I'm 35,000 words into book number three. So I need to complete the full manuscript of that one before I go back and edit it and then actually have to move through the publishing process and 
work with the editor and, and all that sort of stuff. So the editor being my dad, by the way. Yeah, um, yeah. I was going to ask, is he is he editing these ones too? He is editing these ones. Yes, yes. So that's that's really lucky. But yeah, but I'd love to love to have all those out by the end of the year. So that's just my main focus, I suppose. Yeah, awesome, bro. Awesome. That is very cool. We probably should let you go and have some dinner, mate. And I should hey. probably go and tuck myself in for, for some beauty sleep. But it's yeah, always tuck yourself in. You probably, get, all... you probably get two hours a night at the moment, wouldn't you? Oh no, no, he's he's not too bad. He's not oh, too good. bad. He every couple of times a week he wakes up at about five, which oh, is yeah. a little it's a little bit niggly. Um, yeah. But the rest of the time you'll sleep through till about six. So, mate, if you want to train yourself to get up early, have a baby. <laughs> I'll do it. You know, yeah. I'll do it now. Yeah, good. <laughs> All right, good, good. Very yeah. sort of, yeah, Danny DeVito, Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> That's right. It's a skill. You learn mm. Yeah, <laughs> you can, you can. Just get those neural connections going. <laughs> <laughs> the tools that you use. <laughs> exactly. Oh, buddy, it's it's been awesome. It's Let's make sure it, it's shorter turnaround time than, than 14 months next time. Mate, I would like to, I think we could probably do round four at least by September, October, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd have child number two, little Tommy. And yep. uh, I'd hopefully have the books out by then so we could rendezvous. Yeah, nice. That sounds, that sounds good, mate. That sounds good. Let's, uh, let's pencil it in. Done. Done. Awesome, bro. You have a good one. There you have it, team. I hope you enjoyed that chat. Uh, I always love having a conversation with Tommy. We go to some pretty deep places and, and talk about some really interesting stuff. Uh, none of that was planned beforehand. It was it was just all off the cuff, and, and I always learn a lot of stuff from Tom. He's a deep thinker. He's really well-read, and I think he doesn't quite give himself enough credit for putting a lot of his knowledge into practice as well. So hopefully you guys got a lot out of that too. Thank you to Jylan for your awesome editing skills. Thank you to my brother Jeremy Desmond for the amazing theme music. Thank you as always to you guys for helping listen to the podcast. That's a bit weird. For listening to the podcast. If you're interested in upping your leadership game in any way, I've got another show out called Leading Through Challenge. Make sure that you check that out. All about how to be a better leader in the face of adversity. Thanks so much for getting uncomfortable with me this week.